Throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers. From family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourself? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. It's time to listen and learn. Hi there, this is Gord Riddell, and I'm here with Jan Hill, and this is a show called Things to Consider. We have some interesting topics that we've got lined up over the next few weeks that uh, we hope you'll find of interest. It certainly is something that we try to ignore, we pretend aren't there, but we often need to just take a look at some of the really cool stuff in our life. Tonight we wanted to talk about uh, a thing called the aha experience, the eureka experience, that time when you're struggling to get an answer to something and out of nowhere it suddenly just jumps into your mind. It's perfect. It has the complete solution. And that's an incredible thing that humans have. Uh, it's also been noted to be in animals as well. So, Jan, Welcome. Tell us a little bit about the background. Oh, thanks, Gord. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, so, yes, the Eureka moment is something worth considering for a whole variety of reasons. And what's really interesting to me is that other people centuries ago thought the Eureka moment was also something worth considering. So, if you think back over time, the concept of the Eureka moment was really first understood in a spiritual context. It was called the epiphany. And this comes from an ancient Greek word that man, that means uh, manifestation or striking appearance. Um, and so the Greeks used this term often to describe things in nature, things that were happening about them, things that they were experiencing um, with respect to art or maybe even warfare. Um, after the birth of Christ, the term was used to describe the coming of the Magi and this sort of manifestation or this striking appearance of them at the birth of Christ. And they, the Christians developed a, a ceremony um, 12 days after the birth of Christ on January the 6th, and it was a celebration basically of the Magi showing up and... Uh, and, um, you know, being on the scene in some miraculous way. And so some, some cultures still actually uh, yeah. celebrate that rather than gifts being given at Christmas. The gifts are actually given at uh, that 12th day. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's still pretty current. Um, so but today we think of it as a personal experience. And this is largely because of the growth of individualism in our culture, uh, where we sort of have disconnected a lot from the spiritual. And we think of it just as something that happens to us. It's in a personal experience. There is still a spiritual essence to it for many people. Um, but it's not usually thought of as something that we're really conscious of. So some people actually describe that epiphanal moment or that aha moment as sort of a movement from an unconscious knowing into consciousness where you go, oh, yeah, I get it. Right. Yeah. And it's like, but we don't think of other people happening, happening with them, though. Like, yeah. it really is that individual thing. We're like, we're the only people that ever get this to, to happen occasionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> we think it's just us, right? That's right. Yeah. 
And in psychology, William James in that was an early 20th century psychologist who talked about the pivotal moment. Um, he described it as a snap resolution of the divided self. So this carries with it the idea that the self is somehow divided. There's a conscious and an unconsciousness. That's So there's an idea moving across between these two realms. Um, today, neuroscience is really concerned and very interested in this phenomenon, the, Eure- the Eureka moment, um, also called the aha moment, and, or also referred to as the insight experience. Um, and neuroscientists are really interested in what happens in the brain right? What's actually going on there? Um, What is happening that brings such clarity in such an instantaneous flash, right? Yeah. The the neuroscience has just opened up so many doors that we hadn't really uh, uh, seen was actually true with the brain. Now, just to go back just a little ways, you know, it was uh, some of the early founders of the Gestalt movement that were actually doing some of the early work um, uh, around the aha moment. And what they did is they worked with a, a chimpanzee uh, whose name was Sultan. And what they did was they set up this little uh uh, experiment to see if Sultan would be able to reach a banana which was placed, uh, you know, in a very, very difficult position. Uh, so this was tried a number of times, and Sultan kept trying, and he would uh, be unsuccessful each time. And he eventually one day, feeling beaten and downtrodden, he just gave up, and he went and sat in the corner, and he stared at the ground. And obviously feeling a lot of bad feelings about himself for not having been successful. However, out of the blue, he just suddenly flashed up and he stood up. He went and he put four or five boxes that was in his pen. And he stacked one on top of the other, on top of the other, climbed it, got the banana. And uh, I guess he lived happily ever after. That gave them a real sense of uh, establishing some of the facts around the, that we need to be able to walk away from our problems. And the more that we go over it and go over it and go over it, the more likely we are not to be able to get a clear, a clear answer or any clarity around it, period. Uh, and I think our society is moving towards becoming enormously worry, worry wart type people. Uh, we all worry our news flashes give us lots of things to worry about, when in fact, most of the things we worry about never happen. Um, but when we do have a problem, the, if we go over it and we go over it and we go over it, we're not very likely to be able to be successful at that. What do you find? Do you do, you do a lot of aha? I do some aha, but I'm really wondering about, <laughs> you said the chimp's name was Sultan? Sultan. So he was the Sultan of Swing. He was. Ba-ba. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I think what's interesting about <laughs> Sultan's story, right, the story of Sultan, is it really encapsulates some of the three sort of main qualities that we see in the Eureka moment, which is that it happens fast, usually. It's like, yeah. wham, there's the idea. Um, it often breaks existing rules. So the chimp had tried over and over again to grab the bananas in a certain way, wasn't working. And it kind of seems obvious after the fact. So, I mean, who knows what was in Sultan's mind when he went, Oh, Eureka, I've got it. Why didn't I think of that before? But I can imagine that he probably went, why didn't I think of that before? Exactly, as we all do. Now, when when you say about uh, breaking existing rules, 
Um, I, th- I don't think you're talking about breaking like society's rules here. We're talking, maybe it is, but mm-hmm. often really it's about us getting past our own rules as to, um, you know, we all have ways of, of solving problems and, and it's like historical problem solving. If the wheel falls off my car, Every time I'm going to put the wheel back on in exactly the same way and in the same place, uh, uh, that's like historical problem solving. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem with historical problem solving, if you know, if we just keep doing the, the doing the, the same way, is that if we have to do it again, it means it really wasn't solved. It's kind of a band-aid solution. So once we get into that whole area of putting on a band-aid then, you know, eventually we know what happens. It gets wet, it falls off, and it's exposed again. Exactly. Yeah. We have to be, there has to be a part of us, and that's what's so amazing about the AHA experience is it gives us permission to step outside of our own boundaries, to step outside of our own box, um, because it makes us feel good, and it gives us a lot of confidence um, when, when that happens. And... Once we have that confidence and it just feels so right that it gives it, it's just sort of a a secondary permission that just says, hey, I can try this differently this time. Mm -hmm. So let's, yeah, so let's share share some uh, stories about some people that we know who have had aha moments. Einstein, of course, is famous for being the aha king, the eureka king of science. And uh, he talks about all of his learnings and all of his understandings basically coming through your through eureka moments or aha moments uh his theory of relativity for example famously came to him while riding his bike and we'll learn a little later on how important physical movement is to actually generating a aha moment sir isaac newton the famous guy under the tree boom the apple falls he wasn't doing any physical activity no he well sometimes sleeping is important he might have been napping right so um we'll learn about how napping can be really a a good way to sort of generate our eureka moment but uh, whether he was napping or not Sir Isaac Newton had a eureka moment and the laws of gravity under that apple tree were born, right? And then um, there's another story that has, is really important to understanding the eureka moment and it's sort of uh, kind of an epic story, which I'll tell you about. There's a guy named Wag Dodge in Montana in 1949. He's a firefighter who survived a wildfire when the rest of his 14-person crew perished. Uh, Wag was parachuting into a wildfire burning in in a place called Man Gulch. It was supposed to be just a few acres of fire. When the crew got there, the fire was burning out of control. It came come down the mountain to the grassland, and his team headed down the gulch to a safe position. And as they were headed down that gulf to that safe position, suddenly the winds changed and blew the fire towards them. And they couldn't unrun the flames that moved at about 700 feet a minute up the canyon walls and towards them. That would be just amazing and awful. Yes. So we're not going to tell you about what Wag did to survive the wildfire. Just to say that he was the only one of his crew that survived. And he survived because he had a eureka moment in the midst of all that chaos. So... For just now, noodle a bit on 
this. And uh, after the first break, we'll tell you what his aha moment looked like and how it saved his life. And in the meantime, Gord, this might be a good idea to ask our listeners to send in their aha moments. Absolutely. Uh, We're uh, really interested in uh, you letting us know about our aha moments. Uh, You can get in touch with us at info at spiritgrows.ca. That's spiritgrows.ca, one word. Uh, And send us in uh, when you have an aha moment uh, or something from your past that really stands out for you. And next uh, show, we're going to draw a couple of those. And one person is going to be given three uh, one-hour coaching sessions uh, free of charge from, with a graduate, with a coach, a graduate from the Transformational Arts College uh, where we belong. And that uh, will be a great experience for you uh, to be able to work with someone like this. Uh, coaching can take us into a whole lot of different places and uh, that uh, gives you that opportunity to uh, be able to have that and uh, be done over Skype and get to know this person. So write to us, let us know about it. Uh, We're not gonna tell you about WAG quite yet, but uh, we're going to do that uh, further along the line here. So when we're we're looking at some of the people that have done, uh, you know, that are known for their their aha moments, a number of, you mentioned sleep, a number of people who have done, uh, uh, you know, great finds along the way, uh, have actually told us that uh, there's uh, uh, things come to them in their sleep where they're working on formulas or they're working on perhaps the, the genome, how that was ever going to come about is examining DNAs. Pieces like that fall together when people are asleep. And certainly we know that, you know, our society is becoming less and less sleep uh, oriented and we think we're probably robbing ourselves not only of being well but also robbing ourselves of some of that great creative energy that is released inside of our brain when you know we have both the left side and the right side everybody's heard about that but when we talk about aha moments and what goes on in the brain there's a lot more going on here than just the left side is talking to the right side. It's, uh, you know, something that we're, you know, being able to take a look at because you have the front of your brain, which is the analytical part of you, the prefrontal cortex, but you also have the very old part of the brain, which is the limbic system, or some people refer to it as reptilian. I like to think we're just a bit of cut above the reptilian, but that's the part of us that really takes care of our habits. When uh, the analytical part of our brain recognizes that we are doing something habitually all the time, it simply hands it back to the limbic system that takes over, which is why sometimes habits are very, very difficult to get rid of, because we have a part that's so unconscious that it just takes over. That's what allows us to drive, listen to this show, talk to somebody, chew gum, all at the same time, because every one of those has a habitualness to it. Um, When we want to take uh, a new habit on, which can be done, and the same as getting rid of old habits, getting rid of a new habit, or bringing on a new habit, I mean, I'm sorry, um, is simply being able to repeat it often enough 
that the prefrontal cortex goes, he knows how to do this, she knows how to do it, and basically hands it back to the back of your brain, and it allows then the front of your brain to do what it does best, and that is learn new things and walk you through it until you have it down pat, and then it steps out of the way, just like a good parent, and steps out of the kid's way and lets the kids take over, which is like our limbic system in a way. It does that, just that habitualness. So if you're struggling with a habit you're trying to get rid of, you know, it's going to be difficult simply because the brain is, loves to have, uh, it loves to have the uh, patterns it loves to be habitual. It loves to know what's happening, and that makes things difficult sometimes. So, anyways, we're uh, going to get ready here because uh, this is time for us to take a break. And this is Things Worth Considering with Dr. Jan Hill and Gord Riddell. Now, we want you to think about WAG. We're going to be waiting for you. We'll be right back. on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world and that includes you visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental dynamic educational environment we believe learning is much more than just theories it is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. What makes someone successful in their field? On Transformational Energy Leadership, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey speaks to amazing guests who share their ideas, advice, tips, and tricks as to what defines success for them. The result is positive transformation for you. You'll learn that personal energy is the key to make it work. And you'll hear through actual examples how to bring that positive transformation to life. Listen live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. For so many years, adults and teens have experienced a breakdown in communication. It doesn't have to be like this. Listen for Tools for Teen Transformation with Lily Williams. Coach Lily and her guest will tackle subjects like bullying, self-esteem issues, teen pregnancy, substance abuse, and more. It's all about getting teens and the adults in their lives to think differently. You could save a teen's life. Tune in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern and 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Become a member of voiceamerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. 
Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Welcome back. We're here talking about Wag Dodge. Um, he was an amazing firefighter who managed to survive when none of his crew did in a, uh, a horrible uh, fire in uh, the Gulch in Montana. And uh, Jan, what do you think uh, is going to uh, go with that? Well, what did Wag do? in his horrible experience. So as you remember, Wag was running, 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 running. They, him and his crew couldn't scramble up the side of the gulch to outrun the fire. And it became abundantly clear to him very, very quickly that they were all going to die if uh, he still tried to scramble the way that he, was, he, he and his crew had been scrambling. So in which the, is a natural reaction. Which is a natural reaction. What, what they were going through, that's totally, totally normal. Exactly. Just run away. Run and, away. Get away from the flames. Exactly. So as he turned to see the wall of fire about 50 yards away from him, he realized that he'd die if he kept running. So he stopped running. Very counterintuitive in a way, right? And in a moment of insight, he lit a match and he ignited the ground around him just like just in front of him and there were it was very grassy so it burnt like boom super burned super fast and then he stepped into the fire that he'd created just because it made this burned out buffer between himself and the wildfire coming up from behind him he lay down on the ground he covered his mouth and his face with a wet face cloth and he just lay down on those embers um, he was breathing in the smoky uh, oxygen residue that was mm. caught in the grasses. The fire passed right over him, and um, he survived, and he was the only guy who survived. And for Wag Dodge, this inspiration saved his life. And he never knew where his aha moment came from, where that actually came from. Uh, he just knew it was the right thing to do. Which is kind of amazing. Uh, You know, today when we fight fire, you know, forest fires, we actually will light another fire and let it burn towards the actual one that's out of control in order to create that whole area that's all, you know, to be burned out now, that existing fire can't go anywhere Mm -hmm. because it can't, it it could jump, the winds are bad enough, but it it is, you know, a tactical movement Mm -hmm. uh, that he... You know, clearly it wasn't part of firefighting back then, uh, but certainly they did an amazing job just to, you know, to think of surviving. I mean, it must have been very difficult for him to have survived when his entire crew was wiped out. Exactly. You know, 14 people that were simply reacting instinctually. 
and that is to get away from the danger, whereas he was to actually meet the danger, turn around, and somehow survive. Right. And this is one of the things that's really interesting about his story and his situation is because we can see that through his experience that the eureka moment is not problem solving. Mm-hmm. He had to step outside of his usual template. And, you know, the left brain where problem solving occurs is usually caught up in trying to administer sort of a templated process, something that we're used to, to apply something we know to this particular situation. And that wasn't going to work for him. No. The other thing that we know is the eureka moment is not intuition, right? The right brain. But in fact... The eureka moment is created by a dialogue between both sides of the brain, just as you described the the relationship between the prefrontal cortex and the limbic system, the front and the back of the brain, the the sort of the external aspect, the more outside area of the brain and the internal area of the brain, the deeper area of the brain. There's also something that happens, a movement between the left and the right. But the brain is in this intense dialogue with itself in that moment. Um, when Eureka happens. And I, I think, you know, what you're saying is important to, to emphasize, and that is we don't hear that conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't hear left and right and right and left. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, having a, a little uh, conversation there. As far as we're concerned, we didn't get an answer to where we wanted to go, and we have just turned ourselves off completely and d- distanced ourselves from it. But that's actually one of the defining criterion that says this is an aha moment is when we actually do walk away. So, Mm -hmm. you know, as much as we want to think that we're listening to this dialogue with our wonderful brains, that's just not happening. It's happening at a level we just don't have. Yeah, and you can see, though, how easy it would be for people to think of this as a spiritual experience, right? As something that they don't see it as sort of like an integrative process of the brain happening at quantum speed, right? As something moving from alpha wave to beta wave and then boom, gamma hits, right? We don't, and we have our brilliant insight. They don't see that. They just see it as something that perhaps came from the outside and was given to them as a gift. Sure. It's an answer to a prayer. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, I'm not going to be the person that said, well, no, the science of this is, because who knows, maybe it was an answer to someone's prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, certainly it might have been the answer to Wag's prayer. I, I think right? it might have been. Uh, I'm not sure how much he was praying, but I'm uh, glad he got that inspiration. <laughs> exactly. So his story actually demonstrates three components of the aha moment, which is the mental block, block. that we talked about, sort yep. of that that. That getting stuck in the templates of the left brain, um, the immediate recognition. What do you mean the templates of the left brain? What oh, you know mean? the usual problem-solving stuff that we do. That's oh, okay. Yeah, that's really the templates that we rely okay. on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, yeah. It's like car tire does this. Yeah, okay. Exactly. This right. is the way I've always done it, so I'm going to do it this way and see how it works. Right. And you know, oh gee, it didn't work, so I'll go to my next template. So every time I have that. a fight with. Uh, my significant other, then I just go back and say, I'm sorry, that's the template, and it's all forgiven, and it's all better. It's never better. It's never better. <laughs> You're <laughs> still in just, trouble. We're still in trouble, exactly. You're still we in just, trouble, dude. We just figured out, that's what we used to do with mom, is just go and say, I'm sorry, mom, and then everything was forgiven for the next day um, until we did it again. And we do that as adults. That's our templates. Exactly, right? Yeah. 
And so then the second component is really this immediate recognition of the solution, which again, we've already talked a bit about, right? When WAG just drops to the, well, lights his match and drops to the ground, right? Like this is what's going to happen. And that really also encapsulates the third component, which is this feeling of certainty. The feeling of certainty, uh, but also the fact he acted on it instantly. He didn't have any choice. Right. All right. Right. I think, I think a lot of people get that incredible clarity and we feel it and you feel really good and you feel certain and it really bolsters your confidence but maybe I'll just think about it for a little bit exactly in spite of how good it feels I think part of it is the immediacy of the situation created like he had to commit right away to it but when if they I'm asked standing him in the shower I don't have to worry about that exactly. right I mean it's like I gotta dry off I gotta put uh-huh. clothes on and then be able to head out to do whatever it is but I mean absolutely it creates immediacy you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of the interesting ones, uh, similar to anger. Mm-hmm. It's like when you're angry, you it's like immediate. You just have to get that out right now mm-hmm. when, in fact, you don't. Right. Yeah. And But the thing is for WAG, right, when he, they asked him, well, how is it that he thought of that or wh- how was he able to commit to something that seemed like it was so counterintuitive, build a fire, step into it, right? Duh. It, <laughs> he's, his response was, it was the logical thing to do. And he was noted for saying that. And that's what's really interesting, right? Logical to whom, when, and where. Like, it's yeah. logical to him in that immediate moment right. where his survival's dependent on that. But I think when we step, you know, even into into new territory and then, you know, all of a sudden, because it just feels so right and we have that confidence that we can say things like, well, that's just what you do or it just feels logical. You mm-hmm. know, I think that, you know, the, the pilot, uh, I think his nickname is Scully, who landed the plane in the East River. Oh, right. The Hudson River, you know, uh, in New York was just so cool calm and i am sure that man was inundated with an aha and aha and aha at every moment because it's very very difficult to land a plane Mm -hmm. uh in water on water because we all know the outcomes most of the time it has to be dropped so perfectly that one tip of that wing could wipe out the whole plane Mm -hmm. and he actually lowered it and you know that that's somebody who really stands out that although you know, he didn't talk about it uh, to any great degree, or I certainly didn't read about it to any great degree. It was definitely, you know, someone who I can only imagine would also say, well, it was only logical. <laughs> after the fact. <laughs> after the fact. After the fact. <laughs> this isn't logical landing the plane in the water mm-hmm. when it's not a water plane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's uh, yeah, after the fact. I love after the fact. Of course. Why wouldn't it be that way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's something that can happen to us uh, when we get locked into a left brain thinking that actually uh, stops the eureka moment from happening. And it's referred to as the prefrontal clamp. Clamp, <laughs> right? I love it. So I think about people like Wes. This for like from wrestling. Or- you Pardon know, me? You're in a prefrontal clamp right now. Exactly. You're like in the wrestling. You know? Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think about these people who really. Well, some of the guys who actually generate eureka moments for their in their life all the time, like Einstein, let's say, for example, right? But other people who just have them from time to time and they happen to become famous for that particular eureka moment, like Scully mm-hmm. or like Wag. Um, and I just think 
a lot about the prefrontal clamp because in that moment, if they had not been able to step outside their left brain, if they hadn't been able to invite dialogue in from the right brain, they hadn't been able to communicate between the front and the back of their brains and create this sort of integrated process in their brain, then would the eureka moment ever have come? And the answer is probably no. Right. Because what we know from research is that this is a very... um, it's like it's a very specifically patterned process that happens in the brain, um, and uh, which we'll find out shortly how to actually create that in our own brains. Well, I think looking at the the whole idea that the brain isn't just a left brain or a right brain phenomena. You know, when we start to look at things that we we really don't know, we don't really know about the aha. In the same way, we really don't know about the spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. We, you know, the the, the intuition. Uh, we have senses of it. We might actually even have them and do them, and uh, uh, you know, and it's just logical that we would. But we can't really explain it. And certainly, science hasn't done a great job. They're working very hard. Uh, certainly, the researchers have been pretty amazing at some of the things that have uh, surfaced. But you know. Those are just parts of understanding that there is this incredible machine that, you know, helps us get from birth to the next the expression of life when we pass away, when we die. And uh, it, it just is, is always taking on. I mean, neuroscience has taught us, which is really, really fascinating, that our brain is actually designed to always be learning. It is not designed to be vegetating. It is not designed to be sitting in a rocking chair. Even if you're 185 years old, you still have to do something with your brain. And certainly, some of the the work that's being done with, you know, the uh, uh, you know individuals who are aging with Alzheimer's, dementia, is that you know the more we keep our brains uh, very active, the more likely we are to be able to continue to have a healthy brain. Um, and that's difficult. That's difficult because I think there's a myth, a mythology that says once we reach a certain age that we're just supposed to like, what, sit down and, and watch TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just think that's kind of a, a really sad sort of state of affairs. Um, you know, I, I mean, I certainly, certainly know, you know, two of my grandparents, they were in their 90s when they passed away, uh, would, one of them loved wrestling and one of them loved hockey. One was a male and one was a female. It was my grandmother who loved the hockey, my grandfather who uh, loved the, the wrestling. And he would sit on the side of the sofa and he would actually wrestle with them. He'd have his hands up and he was moving his whole upper body and, and, and so on to the point where we think he's going to fall off and he's really going to hurt himself because he was a big guy. Uh, my grandmother was this demure, lovely lady who sat there crocheting while watching you know Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, you know, every single Saturday, that's what Canadians do. So, you know, just their involvement in watching the sport and, and acting it out in several cases, those are the kinds of things. I mean, they actually, there was nothing passive about it for them. Uh, that passivity is, uh, you know, something that we, you know, we just can't allow for ourselves. Um, you know, the, um, uh, you know, I think that the brain is just so unknown, like, 
assumptions that we made long, long ago are suddenly, you know, science is totally, totally, you know, throwing all of those things out the window for us, you know. Um, so now, just as we're getting ready to go to break, we got a really interesting uh, aha experiment here for you to try. All right. Now, you're going to be given a candle, a box of matches, and a few tacks in a box. Your job is to get the candle lit and being attached to the wall. All right. Now, only about 4% of people actually get this done. Now, we're going to uh, go to break here. This is something to consider because you have a candle, you have matches, you have a few tacks, and you have a cardboard box. How are you going to get that candle burning up against the wall? And we will bring you right back to that. This is an aha experiment. And we want you to send us any stories you have about your aha experience at info at uh, spiritgrows.ca. And we will be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The White House Doctor Makes House Calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us for our final segment here at Things Worth Considering. And we've had some pretty interesting stuff we've talked about uh, this evening about our aha moments, our human brain. And uh, I think we left you with a puzzle to solve. So I'm going to hand you over to Jan. Yeah, so your puzzle was you were given a box that contained a candle some tacks and some matches and your job was to put the candle on the wall light the candle and make it so that the candle will stay on the wall and so what we know and this is this is something that is based on the work of a guy named mark jung beeman from northwestern u and what he found was about 90 percent of the people do one of two things and one thing that they do and both these fail by the way so if you're thinking of these You lose. Um, So the first thing that they do is they use the tacks to put the candle against the wall. And, of course, the candle breaks and falls apart and failure. And the second thing that they do is they use the matches to try to melt the candle to the wall. But the candle's too heavy and it falls off the wall. So only 4% of the people ever get this right. And what they do, in fact, is they use the matches to melt the candle. To put the and then they put the candle on top of the box, the cardboard box, and then they use the tacks to put the cardboard box on the wall. So, I'm sure some of you, four percent of you, probably came up with that answer. But I would have only seen the box as something to contain the candle and the exactly. you know it's a carrying thing. I right? probably would have been part of the ninety yeah. percent too as well. I, yeah, I'm sure I would have tried to put the side of the candle, got it all wet, and I wonder yeah. what I wonder what Sultan would have done. <laughs> I guess if it had it? bananas in it. Yep. He would have been looking for more boxes to stack one on top of the other one. Exactly, yeah. right? So what I like about this example, though, is it shows us how important it is to sort of step outside our usual frame of reference, right? We usually think the box is just being the thing that the candle and the tax and the matches came in. It'd be like a throwaway, something we can't use. But of course, if you're a survivalist or if you're one of the 4%, right, the, in... Um, uh, Mark Jung Beeman's study, you would have seen the box as a resource. Right, right? Exactly, exactly. As a potential tool. But I think that, you know, I think that's important given our throwaway society as to how much can be a resource at mm. any time in our life. Yeah. I mean, you know, we all know people, we all have friends that love to 
you know, pick everything up as they go along, pieces of wood and all thrown out, coffee table, whatever. And their ability to turn it into something highly usable is a resource. Mm -hmm. The rest of us, we're going to send it to the dump or set it on fire and let it burn out and let the smoke kill our, our environment. Um, but so, at least we got rid of it. So are you suggesting that repurposing can be an effect of the aha moment? I think maybe it can be. I think that an aha moment, I think it's a highly creative space when someone can look at something and say, I could turn that into a totally you know, usable dining room table yeah. or a totally fabulous desk or something. Yeah, that's yeah. probably the right brain influence right there. I think it's a strong right brain influence yeah. at that point. Yeah. So the real question is, can we create an aha moment, right? Can we, if we know what an aha moment is, if we know all the tricks, if we know how it unfolds, can we actually elicit the aha moment in ourselves? I think we can sometimes. I don't think that it's tried and true. I don't think it's like having a recipe that, you know, every time that same casserole comes out of the oven, that it's going to be exactly the same. Hmm. I think that there are certain things that, you know, Whatever goes on inside of us, and I mean that's a, that's that hidden piece, right? As to what what's dialoguing, how desperate are we? How how what's the emotional you know sort of gauge on our our need to have this you know resolution? I think all of it plays plays out. So our our emotions play, our financials, our finances play, our our families, whatever. So it's highly context specific. I think it's highly context. I think it is. I think it is. I think it's also, you know, how 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 relaxed can you get? You know, how how uh, how well are you at turning off your problems? Mm. Well, Dr. Nancy uh, Anderson who's a lead researcher in this area says, "Yes, you absolutely can create an aha moment." You can create an aha moment, but can you create it you know, one after another. In other words, in, in sort of scientific, you know, uh, testing, we want to be able to replicate the same results over and over and over again. So she's suggesting that every time I sit down, that in fact, I will have exactly the same experience each time, even though yeah. the problems would be different. Well, she's narrowed it down to five steps. To okay. increasing your possibilities of actually having an aha moment. So I don't know, you know, is it going to work every time? Probably not. It probably falls within the, you know, the context rules of statistical mm-hmm. variance, right? Yep. But basically, she says there's five steps. The first one is preparation. So you get into the, you get the info that you need about the problem. And you process it in a logical, kind of left brain, mm-hmm. rational way. If you want to build a new engine, then you better understand how engines work. Right? You get the, get the info. Sense. You have to understand the dynamics of movement, the laws of motion, how little gidgety gadgets go together. <laughs> I don't know what a piston does. You know, you so you do need knowledge okay. as the foundation. Yep. Right? So yep. I think of my students at the university who are like, why do we have to learn this? Right? <laughs> well, you got to learn it. You have to know some of the foundational ideas before you can actually move them around and do something innovative with them, do something different. And um, it's a disaster if you bypass it. You bypass that, that foundational uh, learning. It's like yeah. a disaster somewhere down the line. Yeah, so we have pockets of knowledge that we might not, not that we might not necessarily connect together under normal circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the aha moment, we take 
these pockets of information and we put them together in a new and creative way to generate a new understanding of something, right? Well, there's an establishment like a whole, like neural pathway. Yeah. That uh, things like you know some of the experiments with EEGs. Now, MRIs have not been able to prove any of this because there's a slight delay on an MRI, and uh, the aha moment is actually so instantaneous it cannot be picked up by an MRI. It can though be picked up by. Uh, not where exactly where it's coming from in the brain, but the fact that the brain is very in, in, intensely uh, uh, electrically charged. It's busy. It's very busy. A busy and, brain, and yes. that yeah, that's the integrative model, right? Yeah. But um, so it's interesting because Seth Godin talks a lot about collecting the dots and connecting the dots. So in this stage of preparation, you're actually collecting the dots. you got to have the dots before you can connect them differently. How is that so, different from foundational? It is foundational. Knowledge oh, okay. is the foundation, okay. right? Knowledge yeah. is the foundation. And then you move on to the second step that has been identified, which is the incubation phase. And this is often really, really challenging for people because this is where you allow for a more intuitive process to emerge. Um, this is where you start connecting the dots a mm. little bit, right? You lay back, you maybe just notice what you notice. Things are happening in your unconscious mind. They're connecting themselves while you're occupied with other aspects of life. Maybe you're in the shower. That's right. Right? Yeah, that you're takes grocery a lot of shopping. It can be really mundane things. Yes. Right? So that's the incubation period. You can also be sleeping. Okay. Right? Sleeping is great for incubation. Yep. Yeah. Right. Certainly, lots of people have said that it was. Mm-hmm. It is. Yep. And the third phase is what they call the perspiration phase, and this is the stage where you continue to let your unconscious mind play with the information, um, and it is investigating or exploring the problem that you're faced with. Um, your brain is busy making unconventional connections, since the conventional connections. In the first stage and the second stage, the beginning of the second stage, uh, didn't do the trick. Right. 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 So exactly. now you're like, hmm. So the trick here is to allow your brain is to commit to sort of the feeling of idleness in a way. Right. It's to allow yourself to engage in effortless exploration and the problem here is that we live in such a busy busy oriented society that a lot of people sit on the couch and go gee i'm just wasting time well or people say that to us like Mm. aren't you working on something really big right now what are you doing sitting here Mm -hmm. or how can you be out in the park or Mm -hmm. down by the water and you can't really say don't you see me perspirating here (laughs) right i'm perspirating on the inside of my brain exactly Right. right they say no i see you sitting on the couch Exactly. Mm-hmm. One good thing to do is get up and go for a walk. Do something that is to get your body moving physically, right? And and that has that's a, crucial. Yeah, a big impact on that's, that, that's a, you know that's an important piece too. Um, when you know if we're we're not feeling you know it's all that great about ourselves, we're down, we're depressed. Is sometimes we get into thinking about things that rumination stage where we lock mm-hmm. our bodies. We just don't move. We sit in one position and stare at the floor, stare out the window. And that that body locking, you talked about our prefrontal uh, clamp. Mm-hmm. This is a complete muscle, muscular clamp over the whole body mm-hmm. that can be remedied in a heartbeat. And that is move. Yeah, get up and move. Get up and move. 
change change the position of your legs, your arms, uh, uh, shift to the other side of your you know your butt, mm-hmm. whatever you're sitting on. But it, it, by moving our bodies, we actually can totally change how we're thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you allow for this effortless exploration to deepen, that is is usually the sort of the final catalyst then for creating the revelation or the the actual eureka moment. And this is where finally the dots have connected in your unconscious, which makes sense to you in a big way as your logical mind can kind of can suddenly see it as a new order. That's right. Right? So it moves. Yeah, it moves from your right brain, from the alpha back to the beta wave in your left brain, right? And back and forth. And so what's interesting to me is that then the left brain gets involved, the prefrontal cortex gets involved, and it says, hey, now I have to make order of this. That's right. Right? That's right. Now, you see, I learned it slightly differently, all right? Mm Mm-hmm. One of one of the the people who trained me years and years ago, uh, that was the, my male and my female, my inner female. She was the intuitive. That was my right brain. She was intuitive. She she just knew what needed to happen. Kind of sounded like my family in a way, you know. Hmm. She knew what was supposed to go down. Then she would turn to the male, dad, and say, "Get out there and get this done," because. The, the feminine energy can't do that, but the masculine energy can do that. They can actually make us, uh, grow, you know, be able to grow um, and, and be able to uh, actually sort of actualize ourselves in the world. The feminine energy can't do that. So that's that whole left and right thing again. Uh, this was just another way I'm throwing in of looking at it is our feminine and our masculine. And, of course, there's that whole need to integrate both of those parts of us, right? So uh, anyway, I thought I'd throw that in as an aside. Yeah. So you do just realize, though, that every non-binarial feminist theorist and feminist activist listening to this um show their hair just caught on fire. I, I, I apologize for that, but yeah. these are the people who we'll talk about that next week. Okay. You know, we'll talk about we'll talk about the entrapment of the binary, which is not what you mean because you're referring to it in a Jungian way. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, Thank you for clarifying. So just that, yeah. So do a wag dodge on your head on your hair <laughs> if your hair's on fire right I will. now. Okay. Right? I'm wearing I'm wearing a net. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. So the fifth step is actually the production step, right? So. This is where you actually act upon this new connection of your dots. And this is the place where many of us fail, right? And this is where you might need a coach. Yes. Right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So some of the things that you can do to, um, to actually allow these five steps to happen, focus on things like uh, when we think about rumination, Right, we get caught up in that rumination phase, and again, move your body, change the environment. Right, Stop do a worrying, yoga pose. Be happy. Yeah, do a yoga pose <laughs> or something. Take regular breaks from your meetings. Yeah. Uh, try to get bored. There's a whole area of psych that looks at the way in which boredom affects the behavior of the brain. And be then, creative. Exactly. Without right? judgment, draw, yeah. write, uh, uh, paint, whatever. Yeah. Don't tell yourself you're not a great artist or you're not a great dancer or singer or musician. Just do it. Yeah. Think positively about your situation. Have a growth-oriented mindset. And it will push you out of your box. Exactly. And, um, yeah. So, 
One of the things that I also learned about was about twiddling your thumbs. When you twiddle your thumbs, your right brain and your left brain come together. So one of the things I do at the university is I ask my students to twiddle their thumbs before they do an exam. They think I'm a little strange, but you I are. don't. I you am are strange. a little strange, but That's you know, okay. you've got some really good exercises. Though. There you go, right? <laughs> so, so if you do nothing else, twiddle your brain or twiddle your brains, <laughs> twiddle your thumbs. Right? So we're coming up to the end of our show, and we would like to invite you uh, to give us some insight into your uh, your experience with the aha moment. Again, let us know. The, send us an email at info at spiritgrows.ca. I'm Gord Riddell, and my lovely partner here is Dr. Jan Hill. And we're wanting to tell you about things that are worth knowing, things that are worth remembering, and things that will get us going. All right? So we invite you back next week. We will be back here at the same time on the uh, Voice America channel. Talking about obstacles. And it will be obstacles. Bye now. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jan Hill and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.